Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. The Sixers are coming up on a crucial portion of their schedule, including a monster showdown against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks in a clash of the Eastern Conference elite. You're going to want to make your way down to the Wells Fargo Center, but you're going to want to do so at the best deal possible. GameTime truly does offer you the best chance to get in the building to enjoy your team without spending more than you have to. Well, now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Player App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all in one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code and expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I didn't know you were going to do that. That was... Oh, so, man. I, I guess the kind of... That was a joke made for a person of one, an audience of one. I guess to bring everybody else in. On the joke, the Wells Fargo Center, if you were at the game and you happened to read Rich, Rich's tweet on a subject while you were there, because I think a lot of people didn't notice it until you pointed it out and then you couldn't unhear it. But the Sixers, or not the Sixers, the Wells Fargo Center speaker system had a, a pop coming through and it was driving Rich and I insane. Rich a little bit more. Rich was really struggling to deal with it. But like I said, once you heard it, you couldn't unhear it and they couldn't. It probably started, I'd say, late first quarter and went through the entirety of the game. And for as much as there was to be frustrated by with that game from the you know, Miami defense flummoxing the Sixers to maybe some of their late game uh, coming up short. The speaker system was far and away the most annoying for me. Far and away. It was might, like... Might have the most long-term impact on my emotional health, too. That was bad. It was like a broken amp yeah. at, a, at a rock show. And it was so annoying. Because there wasn't rhyme or reason to when you would hear that that pop or that that crack, whatever you want to call that sound and it was driving me insane and it mirrored the game as the Sixers let their uh, let their hands off the rope and couldn't execute against the zone and were seeing their they saw their defensive intensity drop all I could do was be annoyed by the sound system so please <laughs> please Wells Fargo Center we got a double header this weekend let's get that fixed I, I and the other thing pe- some people agreed with me and they suggested turning off all sound and you can't do that because I believe they did that for a Knicks game a few years ago and it's the weirdest thing ever. And and that would also be weird, but please fix that because I, uh, as the Sixers were playing awful in the middle portion of that game, I couldn't even focus on it because it was so distracting. It was not great, but we will move on from that. Just wanted to get a little inside joke in there for you. And, and really honestly just give you a little PTSD if I could. Um, (laughs) So your Sixers, they are now your fifth place. My Sixers? 76ers. No, you're like the, the audience's Sixers. Okay. Fifth place, 20 and nine. Like three days ago, they were in second place in the Eastern Conference. 
which shows you how volatile things can be and also why scoreboard watching is and standing watching is a little bit of a waste of time at this time of year. There's a lot of teams bunched up. You've got Boston at 18 and 7 in the, in the two seed, and then you have Indy at 19 and 9 in the six seed, and everybody is kind of jumbled in there and, and one good week or one bad week, and you could be anywhere in that range. Hasn't been the most inspiring basketball over the last two games, though. You had that dreadful loss against Brooklyn, probably the second worst game of the year outside of that Orlando game earlier back in early November. And then you had a frustrating one against the Miami Heat, a good team, a team they previously handled with ease at the Wells Fargo Center and your first loss at the Wells Fargo Center on the season. They are now 14 and one. We'll start off with the Miami game since that is the most on our minds. What was sort of your main takeaway from that game? That game of the two felt less concerning to me. Would you agree? They certainly played better in that game, yeah. Yep. It it just felt like the story of the game, and this was something that we harped on afterwards, too. I think all of my questions in the postgame, whether it was to Brett Brown or Embiid or or anybody, was about Miami's zone defense. And, And how many possessions did they play against the Sixers? 53. Which was more than double that they had yep. seen the entire season. No, it was funny. I, I came out, I looked that up in the second quarter. The Sixers had played 49 possessions against the zone heading into the game against Miami. And they were actually the fifth ranked offense in the league through that point. And with the way the second quarter was going, I mean, they, I have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure they played every single possession in that quarter in a zone. Maybe there were one or two man to man sprinkled in there, but it was almost entirely zone. It was like, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to double that 49 in this one game, and that ended up being the case. It was the most zone Miami has played all season. So Miami is one of the teams most likely to throw a zone at you. But even that is sort of overstating it. They've used it a zone defense on 4% of just under 4% of their their possessions. They used it on 53 out of 89 against the Sixers. Most they've used it all year. And they scored 90.6 points per possession. What was the, uh, do you know what the number was before on the 49 possessions? It was like 112, something in that range. Okay, so very good for him. Yeah, and, and, and that rates points per play, which is uh, slightly different. A synergy, which is where these numbers came from. Actually, I, I, I tweeted out those numbers over the course of the game, and Brett Brown quoted those exact same numbers. And, you know, no, of course, he didn't get them from my tweet. It's just we get, we, we get them from the same source, which is synergy. Uh, but synergy, they call what they call, or what they call per possession the rest of the statistical community sort of calls per play. And the only real difference between a play and a possession and a possession is whether or not an offensive rebound, you know, kicks off a new possession or not in points per play. A new offensive rebound will kick off a new play, whereas it won't start a new possession. So since you have more plays, but the same number of points scored points per play will be lower than points per possession. So, you know, just as a baseline, you know, Synergy has the Sixers at 97.8 points per 100 plays, where by contrast, they average 108.5 points per 100 possessions. So this is sort of like a long way of saying 112 points per 100 plays is really, really effective offense, like really good. And that's my main take from that. I should have done enough prep on this and maybe maybe I'll look it up when you start talking next time. But I don't feel like zone works. I just it's not a thing that I feel like teams can go to all that much. I believe Miami, along with Brooklyn, was one of the teams that played zone the most last season. But even then, it was around 10% of the time. And I know 
Miami, I think I read some stuff on it last year where they had some games where maybe the team got a little bit spooked against it and were a little bit unsure of how to attack, and then they start missing threes, and then they wrote it for the whole game. That is what happened against the Sixers last night. They they, they missed shots. They were a little unsure of how to attack it. I do think watching that game last night, J.J. Reddick's absence felt particularly notable against the zone, which, again, you don't see that much. But just just not being able to account for him with one person, it always felt like whether he was getting open more, which I think he was getting open more against the zone, or the attention that, that came from a defender getting to him late would open up something for Embiid inside. Maybe he'd find Simmons underneath. It just felt like they don't have the the quick release sniper type that that hurt them a little bit that said i i think they just missed shots and well, that's they had a... go. Oh, go ahead no, no you... you go i was gonna say they have one quick release sniper guy in mike scott and he was just completely off like he had i think two different corner threes during that run that he just bricked they they did not they did not shoot well at all and that that to me honestly going back and rewatching that second quarter the third quarter i think there were you know i think at some point missing shots sort of got in their head a little bit but I think in that second quarter where they were outscored, what was it, 37 to 19 or something of that sort, they, I think they had the shots there. Like, they got five open corner three-point shots in one quarter of basketball. You know, I think these Sixers are shooting 42% on the year on corner threes. It's quite literally the most valuable shot in basketball. It's right neck and neck with the shot at the rim. So for you to be able to get five of them in one quarter of play, you know, I think they average maybe like six or seven per game on the season. Five and a quarter is high value shots. And Korkmaz made two real early in the second quarter. And to be honest, I thought I thought Miami's about to bail on, on the zone. I, I didn't think it was tenable. Weren't they up 41-29 at 41, that point? 41-29 with like seven and a half minutes left in the second quarter. The rest of the game, they went one for eight from the corner, not from three-point range, from the corner, which again, they're making 42% on of the season. I had somebody... And the only make was Tobias late in the game. Real late in the game. Yep. Tobias had an open corner three. Mike Scott had open corner threes. Josh Richardson had open corner threes. Like everybody. Uh, then I had somebody ask, ask me this. Well, who on this team can make that open shot? Everyone can. Like literally Ben Simmons can make that shot at, at a decent clip. That's one of our main complaints about Ben Simmons. That is the easiest three-point shot in basketball. That is one of, if not the highest value shots in the game. And I thought, you know, I sometimes, yes, you can play against the zone and you can you know, you can settle. And that certainly is the case sometimes. And maybe some of those, you know, there are some top of the key threes, one from Tobias, one from Mike Scott. If you want to make an argument that maybe they should have swung it around a little more, see if they can get something fine. But a lot of those threes, especially in the second quarter, they came on real good ball movement, real crisp, patient ball movement, where they, you know, got into the center of the zone, kicked it out or kicked it around the perimeter, forced them to rotate, and they got they got the looks they were looking for. It's just it didn't go in, and that sucked. Um, the bigger concern, I, you know, I thought the story of the game. Anytime a, a team plays fifty three possessions in a zone, that's going to be that might be the most zone a team has played in twenty years in a, in a single. I sh- should have looked that up in my article actually. So that's always going to be a story of the game. But I thought the biggest reason they lost, you defense. know, this is, a, this is a team that when they have an off shooting night, their defense carries them. And in those middle two quarters, they stunk defensively. They were just bad. And I went back and again, I rewatched and it would have been really easy for me to say like, oh, long shots, long rebounds. They weren't in, in position to get back in transition, blah, blah, blah. 
Not really. Like, Miami scored a lot against a set defense in that second quarter and in that third quarter. And the Sixers had two stretches where they really looked like they gave a shit defensively. First quarter, which they dominated, and then the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And that just wasn't enough to overcome, you know, sort of malaise for the rest of the game. Yep, and and they were making mistakes all over the place, whether it was Ennis losing Tyler Hero on a back cut, Matisse not being able to stick with Duncan Robinson. You can argue that Embiid's help around the rim. He he struggled not with good. Yep. Yeah, he struggled with the balance of guarding Bam at the elbows and helping at the rim when when really I think he should have just invited Bam to take some of those shots. But yes, he was not sharp on the defensive end in those quarters. And they, it's like you said, they were great at the beginning of the game. Matisse had a couple of, he had his normal, you know, seven to seven oh run where he gets a steal and he makes a three and he's just, yep. you know, he's completely dominant. And they get up 29 19 in the first quarter. And then at the end of the game, they turn up the pressure, whether that's in the half court or the full court. And Miami craps their pants. And unlike the Toronto game where the Sixers were the ones crapping their pants, this one felt like it was more the Sixers yep. pressure getting to getting to them, where I thought it was more to do with their length. I, I mean, look, Miami was a little bit shook. Kendrick Nunn, of course, bricks the two free throws at the end of the game. Well, that, that was that, that was a karma police coming back for that bullshit bank three he made earlier. And he made another one at the end of the shot clock where he yeah. swished it. But if you look at the release... He, I mean, it was such a prayer. He barely let it go. Robinson also made one at the end of the game. I thought it was interesting that pretty much everybody who was interviewed after the game on the Sixers side made the point that, yeah, we did not play that well defensively. We did not do what we needed to against the zone. They all slipped in into their comments. Hey, they also made four BS threes (laughs) at, at the end of shot clocks. And I think that is true. But it just goes to show how many things went wrong for the Sixers last night. Their, their defense sucked in the middle middle couple quarters, and I, I agree with you there. And, and they were bad shooting against the zone. They had a freaking look to win that game. Yep. They had Al Horford on, on the wing, decent shot. You know, I think sometimes we overanalyze those last looks where, you know, I saw something – on on Reddit where he should have back uh, Richardson should have back cut and I saw a bunch of people on Twitter saying Simmons take the ball to the basket. The point is the Sixers should not have been in that situation. Yep, that that's the main takeaway there. But also I, I didn't mind the shot. It's it's a decent look for Al Horford. And you had it, a thirty five percent chance of winning that game. Yeah, it's it, it's not bad. And then you don't get the rebound. And in a lot of cases, I think you you probably do get the rebound with with MB crashing. Just just wasn't meant to be. But o- overall. I thought there there were a lot of things they did wrong, but it was a little less concerning than that Nets game, just because at some point you're going to have a stinker at home. You're just going to. And, and, and Miami is a good team. Jimmy made a, a smart play to get that foul on Embiid late. They, they made shots. They, they played pretty well. They have beaten all of the other good East teams at home this season. So I, I don't think that's a loss where you get too frustrated. You're going to have those during the year, but yeah, they, they they have a lot of stuff to clean up from that game. And I think the key here is I'm not that concerned about losing to Miami. You need to come out this weekend and play better basketball and, and not let that linger because you're not going to go 41 and 0 at home. It's almost, 
it's one of those things where I think a loss could be a good thing in a way because they have these three, you know, the Dallas and without Luca and then Washington, those are not huge games on the schedule, although you better want to beat Washington after what happened a few weeks ago. But but with Milwaukee coming in after that, and then after New Year's, they have some some marquee games. There's a Boston game in there. They need to refocus and play better. Yeah. No, I think I agree with most of that. I do agree that we spend way too much time on like last-second plays. Like They got themselves into a spot with seven and a half minutes left where they had to play perfect basketball to win. And the fact that they played almost perfect perfect basketball instead of perfect, that's not a huge concern to me. You know, I think that last second shot, I like, is Horford the guy you want taking that shot? No, Probably not. It's certainly not with the way he's played since coming back from, uh, you know, f- from coming back from his injury. And we can talk about that in a second. But it was a, it was a reasonable look. Um, and look, Miami, you, you brought up those two bullshit end of clock threes. Like they shot, they made three of 13 over the last eight minutes of play. And two of those were Hail Mary threes with the shot clock expiring, one of which banked in. I mean, the Sixers defense was absolutely locked in, which becomes, I mean, a little frustrating that the rest of the game wasn't locked in. But, yeah, it just turned it up. They turned it up to a degree that they can't over a 48 minute game. No, absolutely not. Yep. But it would be dripping in sweat after a quarter. It would be, it's impressive though, when you see it for sure. And, and we, we've seen that even before it was this all defense team. I remember, who was it again? I think there was the game against Oklahoma city last year where Jimmy was wearing the headband and he got the steal against the press at the end of the game. They have these, they have these games where they turn on the pressure with Simmons and Tobias. And, and last year it was Jimmy and not Josh, but, and, and the other team starts to turn the ball over. And I feel like when, when you look at that last possession, the five minutes leading up to it were such a frantic scramble. Yep. And of course, Brett lost his last time out with the challenge on the Embiid foul against Jimmy before then. So you really didn't have time to set up a play. If you can, if you watch the game, the, uh, the benches, Udoka and Kevin Young are screaming instructions as none is taking the free throw. And you also didn't know if he was going to make or you didn't know if you were going to need a three because, he was still on the free throw line trying to trying to get get them one there. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not too worried about that, but I am more worried about just how they look defensively in the middle two quarters because, yes, at the end of the game, you, you can't play like that at all times. I, I understand that Simmons, again, turns up the defense to a level that I, I don't think he can play for long periods of time. He also played 42 minutes last night. But it can't drop to the levels we saw in the middle quarters either. All right, let's, uh, yeah, I, I guess one other thing. How did you think, you know, there, Embiid had, he, he took, I think, nine shots in the fourth quarter, five of which shot five for nine. You know, I thought, I, I, I saw some commentary that, like, they got, the, they did a better job getting the ball into Embiid in the fourth quarter. And I, by and large, I think that's true. Like, they got that into the middle of that zone. He scored two, two shots on, you know, sort of like floaters in the paint, getting around his man, one of them for an and one, and then one of them just to make. And then he also had one dime to Tobias where the defense collapsed on him and he found him. So, like, I think that helped. But I still, like, I go back to that second quarter and I just, I don't think they, and and Joe sort of complained about this after the game. He said he wasn't really involved in much of the offense in the first half. I still, I just look at that second quarter and I go, that should have been, if they shoot reasonably well, that's a 40 spot they put up on that team. I, I, I just, I can't get too outraged. About their offensive strategy. Um, yeah, um, I think I think they could have gotten the ball to him at the free throw line 
a little more. But again, it's a BS zone. It's not going to work for the long run. So he did grumble about his lack of touches, by the way, not a new thing. He seems to grumble after a lot of games. I think we uh, we know this by now. But yeah, it, it just comes down to the shooting at the end of the night. And it just I think it'll be better on, on most nights. So. I, I I really think there were like legitimately one more made three away from running Miami out of that zone after 15 possessions instead of 53. Uh, I think that game was real cro- close to sounding completely different. All right, let's go back to, first of all, let's take a quick break uh, for a word from our sponsor, and then we will talk about the Brooklyn game. The holiday season is here, and we know what that means for football fans. Bowl season, as in well over 30 bowl games before the championship game on January 6th. If that's not enough to get you excited, the playoff push is underway for the pros. Need even more? The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on all that action and more 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every single day, especially this week. DraftKings is giving away eight days of sportsbook gifts this holiday season. Be sure to check out the promos tab in the DraftKings Sportsbook app each of the eight days leading up to Christmas to open your daily gift. You definitely won't want to miss what's in store for Christmas Day. With promos like these, it's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet when you sign up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Restrictions apply. And now back to the show. All right, let's. Uh, you know the Brooklyn game. Obviously, you had no Embiid that game. He was out. Al Horford and Josh Richardson were making their return to play after their various injuries. What was your sort of main takeaway from that one? Again, that was a one hundred nine eighty nine loss to the Nets up in Brooklyn, uh, which you traveled to, and 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 that never seems to work out well. But. uh Probably one of the two worst games of the season. I don't think I'm going back to Brooklyn voluntarily. <laughs> they get their ass kicked there. If it's not the regular season, at least. Or uh, it's not the, the playoffs. Playoffs, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's something about the Nets style with these, even if it's just Dinwiddie now, with these pick and roll guards who get downhill against the Sixers. I mean, the Sixers play a style of defense with both Embiid and Horford where they you know, we talk about it all the time. They chase over the screen. They stick to three-point shooters. They, they play two-on-two in the middle of the court. Horford looked terrible in that game on defense. And I wonder, even last night, he uh, I don't think he looked 100% Al Horford. There were a few possessions there where I thought, you know, I, I wish he'd get out a little bit further on, on that driver and, and make it tougher on, on them. Although... He was somehow a plus 21 in that game. Yeah, so. I have no idea. That was the most misleading. I mean, look, Embiid wasn't particularly good defensively for a portion of that game either, but that is one of the most misleading plus minuses you'll ever see. Yeah. So he played that drop coverage, and he didn't play it well. Dinwiddie got around him on a consistent basis. Again, though, they shot the ball like absolute crap in that game. It, early on, especially in the first and second quarter, I thought, you know, this is this is a Nets team that was on the second night of a back-to-back, so you felt like you could run against them. And the Sixers, without Embiid, the one benefit is that Simmons doesn't have to wait for him. He can just play 
the speed he wants to at all times. And he, he was finding Horford for those trail looks, and he couldn't buy one. And, and that was part of it. But but the defense was also not good. And uh, that that's a little bit concerning. I think that's largely what the numbers have said throughout the year, that those lineups, Horford and Simmons, no Embiid, have been elite offensive lineups. But they've been, I think, below average defensively, too. So if those shots are not dropping and they're not executing at the level that they need to, you have a night like you saw against Brooklyn. So, you know, yeah, it's been a it's been a rough couple of nights for the Sixers here. But uh, yeah, I think it was a combination of the two. And you know, you're you're also not getting very good bench play either. Thibel really struggled against Brooklyn. TLC was back cutting him. <laughs> not great, Bob. Good old friend. Yep. Yeah. Although you know, I, I think that's somewhat of a pattern with Matisse at this point where. He'll show up against the Kemba Walkers of the world, and then whether it's Rondé, Hollis Jefferson, or TLC, maybe if it, maybe it's the hyphenated names that gets him. I, I don't know what's going on, but he he it doesn't feel like the uh, the worst players. He he could physically dominate them. There's kind of no rhyme or reason to to his defensive style, which makes sense if you watch him play with all the gambling he does. But yeah, they, they haven't gotten good bench efforts. In in either of those games. So yeah, that was a, that was a really poor performance. Yeah. So my biggest, first of all, I had two major takeaways from that game besides the bench. The first is that seven games in 11 days is hard on an NBA team. Uh, And they looked like they had a lot of tired legs in that game. And look, people are going to be like, ah, don't make excuses. Well, look, you play seven games of basketball in 11 days. It's just a reality that you're going to be tired. And yeah, Brooklyn was on a back to back, but they played five games in 11 days. Uh, It is just, that's a lot of, a lot of work for, an NBA player. Winning and I think, five and seven before that is pretty impressive. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're going to see that in jump shooting pretty quickly. You're going to see that in maybe defensive focus and being beaten sometimes when you wouldn't normally otherwise. My other main takeaway was Al Horford. I don't know if it's coming back from an injury or if it's a, the stress that Brooklyn puts on a big man like that. He just looked like he had no idea how to even attack Spencer Dinwiddie pick and roll. Like he was flat footed a lot. Uh, he didn't. He he was being beat by just change of direction. And look, Dinwiddie's tough in that regard. He's a a real strong, physical, but also quick guy who can change direction quickly in the paint. And Horford just he he didn't take anything away from him. Uh, he looked like he was hesitant, and he was, you know, in in terms of his like it seemed like there was always a, a worry in the back of my mind of his mind about the lob to Jared Allen or something of that sort. And he was just he was caught in between in a way that he can't be. And I'm a little bit concerned, if I'm being honest, about Al since he's come back. Um, he just has not looked looked the same on either end of the court, but especially defensively because it's really what you rely on him to be. Um, they really need Al Horford and Josh Richardson to return to playing like Al Horford and Josh Richardson. And the last two games, they just haven't. And it's been a, it's been a little bit concerning in the short term, but probably nothing. Like, I didn't look at that Nets game and be like, well, that, you know, there are some losses where you look at it and you just go, oh, man. That that feels like that's going to show up again later in the year. I don't. I didn't look at that game and feel that way. Like Marcus All and Joel Embiid, that that concerns me from time to time. Some of what Boston and Brad Stevens able to do to to Ben Simmons that concerns me from time to time. Like Al Horford and pick and roll, uh, that's not really on my top five list of concerns. Um, at I least think, not unless he struggles for the rest of the season. 
I think, and there was a question asked of him before that game, if it was similar to stuff he was dealing with in Boston the year before, and he was like, yeah, yeah, it's it's somewhat similar. So that's that's a little concerning. I know his season in Boston last year, he had a stretch of the year where he struggled and he didn't look particularly good. And then by the time the playoffs rolled around, and it, it was even before that, the end of the season, he was back to kicking ass as as we saw in Philadelphia, he played really well in the two uh, two games in Philly against Embiid. Uh, but yeah, he uh, they, they need to get him back to the active Al Horford that he he gives the Sixers more speed and he you know he I, I don't think he can play those pick and rolls quite as much dropping as Embiid because Embiid is just this singular force around the rim that, that's hard to replicate. I think yep you, you would hope that Al would. A, have a little more agility than that, and B, like you said, use that agility and, you know, maybe get scored on Dinwiddie a couple times at the beginning of the game. But at some point, he figures out some sort of counter, and that just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And look, like I said, Al Horford, physically, yes. And by, what was his exact injury? It was hamstring tightness and knee soreness, I believe. Okay. But... Physically, yes, there's, you know, you always want to make sure. And look, Al is, you know, he's not a, uh, he's, he's not a spring chicken. Like we're talking about a 33 year old who will turn 34 in June. So possibly while the Sixers are playing, maybe hopefully while the Sixers are playing this season, he has had some of these injury concerns in the past. So you're always cognizant of that. Like, could they play him fewer minutes? Yes. Could, maybe more games off, yes. Especially now that he's starting to show signs of some of these ailments that he's had in, in, in past years. But if he's healthy, I'm I'm still I'm pretty confident in what the Sixers will get out of him when the games truly matter. Uh, because that lineup, that MB, or that Horford, Simmons, Harris, Thibel lineup was performing so well prior to these two games, the fact that they've struggled a little bit now, if they can get everybody back on track, both in terms of Richardson, you know, he's also de- Richardson is dealing with a a wrist injury that he hurt in the Boston game. Horford is just coming back from his injury. Assuming they can all get back, I'm I'm still just like I view this as a very temporary problem. Yeah. He's at 30.7 minutes per game. He has played in 25 of their games, so that means he's missed 4 of them. Yeah, I wouldn't mind to see maybe that minutes number gets shaved down one or two minutes per game. Maybe a little more frequent DNP rest. Although, you know, sitting four games at pretty much the quarter point of the season, that's, I, I think if you just look at that, it's not crazy yeah. nope. to to get too, uh, too bent out of shape about that. But yeah, no, I think in general, too, this has been more of a negative pod just because they've lost a couple of games and we're the, we're the same as everybody else. We're not going to be super happy about <laughs> how they've played. The the one thing I will say, even last night's game, when they played poorly against Miami for two quarters, the reason they were good in the first quarter was the starters, you know, they they play Miami about even. And then they bring they put Embiid on the bench and they bring Thibel and Ennison and they they just go from it's not zero to sixty. They go from sixty to about two hundred in, in just one substitution. And it's hard for teams to catch up with that to to play such different styles because Simmons is pushing the ball with reckless abandon against those 
or with that lineup. So that's something that I think is going to be good for a long time here or for, for the whole season, at least. So, you know, if they struggle a little bit over a couple games, I've seen enough where I'm still pretty confident in that group. Yeah. Yep. There, there are ebbs and flows to a season. This, this feels like mostly that, you know, I think it's sort of bad timing because they've got some really tough competition coming up here. So you would like to see them maybe build in a little bit of wiggle room. And because the Eastern conference is so bunched up, like they are a bad week away from being the sixth seed. And I think that would cause a lot of panic. And if they did that, let's say they lose three of their next five and they end up at what, 22 and 12. I'm still not going to get too bad out of shape. Like I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what this team is defensively. I feel like I have a decent sense of where they are trending offensively and what kind of teams can cause them concerns. And, um, you know, the only game I really care about coming up here in the next couple of weeks is, uh, is Christmas day, just because you want to see how these two teams match up. You really hope Al is playing back up to his peak because you want to see if some of these additions the Sixers make can help bridge some of that gap in a potential uh, seven game series. How they guard Giannis will be very interesting in that game. But even before that game, you know, you have Dallas and Washington coming up. Just get back on track. If you sweep that doubleheader, I feel like everything is everything's fine again. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that was a little bit of a clunker. I, I was hoping they would keep the 41 and or uh, dream alive longer than they did. But I guess uh, I guess they're not going to be rivaling the Boston Celtics in 1986 or whoever has that record. I think they were the uh, they were the last team to pick up a home loss, right? think they were yeah not bad all right let's uh one more quick break and then let's talk about the bench because we have a few controversies this week about that we talk about physical fitness a lot but there's another side of the game that's just as important i'm talking about mental fitness calm the number one app for sleep and meditation has teamed up with lebron james to help you train your mind lebron and calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body and calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better have less stress, and perform at your best. According to LeBron, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my mind and body. And I know for me, I frequently look at sleep as wasted time, time where I could be better spent being productive. But doing so can have serious consequences on not only your productivity, but also your happiness as well. If you head over to calm.com sixers, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and using Calm with a 40% discount on an annual membership at calm.com slash Sixers. With Calm, you have access to the nature scene LeBron loves, like rain and leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash Sixers. Once again, that's calm.com slash Sixers. And now back to the show. All right, so where do we even begin? I feel like we talk about parents on Instagram way too much. For an NBA podcast, uh, I feel like Helicopter parenting is something that should be, we, we should be above, but we're not. A lot of daddies of pros. <laughs> yes. So, oh God, we, one day we should just do a podcast on our favorite athlete parents. All right. So anyway, back on track. We had Trey Burke's dad uh, tweet or Instagram, right? It was on Instagram. Uh, basically that his son should be getting minutes and that the Sixers weren't going to be able to make it to the finals if they didn't have someone who could create off the bench. Something of that sort. I don't have the tweet in front of me, so I apologize if I'm mischaracterizing that. And then we had... This is this is, this is so stupid, I can't believe we have to talk about it. We had Kylo Quinn then like that. 
It, like the Instagram post or did he like the somebody tweeted about it? So, Kyle so, Quinn likes So here's something. here's the level of inception involved here. It was a tweet that was then posted on Instagram from a Sixers fan account. Okay. So it was it was Trey Burke's father's tweet, which was screenshotted and posted on Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then I think Kylo Quinn had some cryptic uh uh, uh text only Instagram story posts, something of that sort. And people tried to decipher exactly what it was that he meant. Um, so obviously we then had to ask questions, very annoying questions. And, and Brett Brown could not have had any less interest in talking about Instagram. You know, but basically Kylo Quinn said he didn't know what he was liking. And that liking doesn't equal endorsement. He, he just liked it because it was about the Sixers. Not, not the world's greatest or most believable explanation. Uh, and then Trey Burke you know, basically said, those aren't my, those aren't my feelings. Those are my, my father. I'm glad that he's supportive. I believe this was reported by Keith Pompey. I'm glad he's supportive of me, but that is not how I view my situation, which good on him. You know, he handled it the right way. I guess, I guess we'll start off first. Do you think this is something that could become a problem? And then basically the implication here is that Trey Burke and, and Kylo Quinn may be upset about their minutes, which I mean, they, they should want to play more. That, that, that's their role as an NBA player. But do you think this could become a problem? And do you think they should be playing more? Do I think it, it'll be a problem? I wonder about O'Quinn a little bit. I don't think Trey Burke is going to be a guy who is very vocal complaining about his minutes. That seems like, again, it was his dad and, you know, it's, it's fine. It's a supportive parent and it's probably frustrating for the Sixers, but traded a good job of quashing that quickly. O'Quinn is the interesting one to me because he is not the third center right now. That would be two-way center Norvell Pell. And by two-way, you mean two-way contract, not like a two-way star. Yeah. <laughs> he is a lot of fun to watch in, is. in a lot of different ways, although the mistakes are a lot of fun to watch as well, too, because they're they're very obvious. But yeah, Brad has said that he is going with Norvell at this point. I do not know how many days he has logged with the Sixers at this point. So it's not like with his current status, they can consistently play him. But I, I imagine it has to be a, a little bit frustrating for Kylo Quinn. He came in, I'm sure, you know, he talked about the, the role that the Sixers, I don't know if they promised him, but he was very clear that they, they were clear about what his role would be. And I assume that's when one of Embiid or Horford sits that you get the minutes. And maybe even when those two play, if, if you're playing well enough, maybe you get a few minutes here, here or there. That's not happening right now. And Kylo Quinn, when, the, when he has played this season, the Sixers have been a disaster. They were a disaster the last time he played, which was Thursday night. Last week, the great win over Boston. I think they were minus twelve in his twelve minutes. They were very uh, reminiscent of last last spring. Yeah, they were bad, and I think some of that had to do with Ben Simmons did not play well without Embiid in that game. But uh, and, and you know, I don't think Kylo Quinn's the the poor team play when he's been on the floor is all his fault. I think he's a better player than that. But Pell comes in against the Pelicans and plays well, gives them a shot of energy on a night when they didn't really have much. Understandably, that was the fifth game in seven days. 
So he's the one I'm a little more worried about. And now should he be playing more? I don't know. Right now, I think Pell is doing a pretty good job as the as the two way guy. But uh, like like should he play a little more? I, I don't know. I don't think it's making a huge difference either way. And then when it comes to Trey Burke, it's the same thing with uh, with Neto. It's if if Neto is not playing, it's oh, why why don't you play him more? With you know Burke is not giving you anything with his poor shooting, and then. When the Sixers don't play that well with Neto, it's get Burke in. He's a scorer. He gives them something they don't need. It's like, well, what is he shooting from the field right now? It's pretty crappy if I'm if I remember. Trey Burke? Yeah. Forty two percent. Okay, so he hasn't been lighting the world on fire. I, I agree. When when he's hitting with a fifty point nine true shooting. When he's hitting his jumpers, I, I agree. He does give you a different element than anybody else on the team has. The problem is he has not been doing that. So I think both of these things are, I would, you know, I would be lean a little more towards O'Quinn, whether it could become an issue more long-term, but for both of these guys, I agree that they like them wanting to play more. It's somewhat understandable, but I don't think it's a clear cut case either way that it's like, man, Brett Brown is screwing these guys. Yeah. No, I think, you know, I think I do agree with you. Kylo Quinn is my, the one I'm more concerned about. Because he, you know, he he came here and he was talked about how tough Indy was for him last year because he wasn't his consist his playing time wasn't consistent, and you know, I, look, like I said, I'm empathetic to any player who wants to play. Like I would, I would expect that they all want to play. But the reason that I'm more concerned about O'Quinn is because they just I I still think, and yeah, I agree that Pell has given this team a shot in the arm as a third center, and has has recently been outplaying Kylo Quinn. But I still think there's a a thought in the back of Brett Brown's mind, like I would still trust Kylo Quinn more in in the postseason. If it came down, and look, I don't think Kylo Quinn is going to, by plan, is going to be in the postseason rotation. Like, I think they're going to give all of those minutes to Al Horford. But if something happens, I think Brett Brown would trust O'Quinn more than he would trust Norvell Pell. So I think they want to keep him engaged, keep him close. If, Trey Burke, who I don't think is going to cause a problem. Like I think, I think that I think that was his father saying something, and and you know Trey Burke sort of having to to deal with the consequences of that. And and I mean we've seen that time and time again with this team over the years. Kendall Marshall, for example, and what Kendall Marshall's father said was much more severe. And again, I, we don't need to rehash that. But like Kendall was put in a tough spot because of his father, and there's a little bit of that here too. I don't think Trey is going to outwardly complain. But I also think if he did, if Trey Burke actually did become a problem. The solution to that is real simple. You cut Trey Burke. Like he's on a minimum contract he was signed late in the offseason for a reason. If if he's not, you only deal with headaches when they ha- they add the value to be worth that. So th- he would be, I think, a little easier to move on from than Kylo Quinn, which is why I would worry about Kylo Quinn slightly more. But by and large, you know, I think I think this is something that is pretty low on the on the totem pole of stuff that stuff that I am worried about. I do think right now, like I said, Norvell has outplayed Kyle lately and and should be given a chance to see if he can continue that or if it is a flash in the pan. He certainly has physical attributes that could prove useful. Um, I do think I, Kyle is going to get back in the rotation yep, or, I think or whatever, probably, whatever his part-time spot is going to yep. be. It's just, like you said, there are ebbs and flows to the season. There are ebbs and flows to a rotation with a lot of players who are capable, but not necessarily consistent. Yeah, and I th- I think Trey, you know, I think whether it's by injury or Neto really struggling or Brett just getting 
frustrated that Neto at one point. Like, I think Trey's going to end up getting back in the rotation too, which is why it makes sense for him to come out and be like, look, that's my father. I'm glad he's supportive of me, but that's not how I feel because he, I'm sure he knows he's probably going to end up getting another chance. So I think these are sort of short-term debates that, are they something to monitor? Sure, because these are both veteran players, especially in O'Quinn's case, who has been a part of a regular rotation before. This is a guy in Trey Burke who probably felt like he was resurrecting his career with his recent play over the last few years. They should want to play. I wouldn't have a problem if they're unhappy with their playing time. Is it going to be a problem for the team? No, I think this is probably just a, a mistake by Trey Burke's dad and then a mistake by Kylo Quinn, who probably could have owned up to it a little bit better. But that's it. That's all. All right. Coming up, we have the Dallas Mavericks. Obviously, no, no Luca. Without Luca, that's a that's a, a real bummer. Um, they have lost, I think, what three out of five since he went out of the lineup, or or two out of three. I forget exactly when he. You better he, win he, that game, Sixers. Now. Yeah. No, they. I mean, they, you should kill that team. Yep. They did recently beat the Bucks. I believe that was after Luca's injury. But I, this is a team they should be able to handle. So you have the Mavericks on Friday, Wizards on Saturday. Get Bertans in the scouting report, by the way, for that <laughs> yes. game. Yes. Um, also maybe get him into the playbook, but that as looking ahead. Then you have <laughs> at Detroit on, uh, on Monday and then the Christmas matchup against the Bucks. And then that strong stretch continues with road games, Orlando, Miami, Indy, and Houston. There is a lot coming up and, yeah, and, and a tough that, stretch. another one in a little over a month against Dallas where hopefully Luca is back for, because I would not mind watching that dude play. basketball again. Um, I think, I think after the, Miami game, which is on a back-to-back with Orlando on the road, I think it turns into three games in 11, 12 days. Six have played a lot of basketball this month, and they're going to continue to through just after Christmas. But I think it'll be good for them to to recharge after that. But, you know, they have a, a stretch of about six or seven games where they, uh, they, they can't afford to slip up too much. Yep. All right, I think that's a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, once again for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.